10 years ago, a presentation on this topic might have looked quite different than it does now. I'm not going to share anything new. You folks have undoubtedly a lot more wisdom on this topic than I do. I sense that God's Spirit has been working within this conference over the, la- over the last number of years to help us continue to wrestle with the nature of God's kingdom and what that means for our work in healthcare ministries. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, it really is your fault that any of us is in this room today. We're here because we sense your spirit is leading. We sense that a movement, a revolution, is afoot on the earth, transforming, healing, restoring, bringing hope. And Lord, in all of our frailty and our uncertainty, we want to be your servants in serving your purposes. So guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this session is asserting that nearly every aspect of the ministry of Jesus, as we read the Gospels, was shaped by his sense of the kingdom of God. He was living into something. And I believe that in all of our healthcare ministries, in fact, in all of our ministries of any type, the same vision of the kingdom of God should define what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it and the ways we interact with colleagues and with the people God's calling us to serve and to serve with. So, uh, just a little bit about my own personal journey. I was a pastor in a church in the U.S. for a couple of years and couldn't make it, so I became a missionary. Um, was recruited and spent um, 23 years with uh, CMF, an Indianapolis-based uh, ministry. Uh, first three and a half years of that was Ethiopia and got kicked out of there because of the Marxist revolution. Then spent seven years in Indonesia and the last 10 years as the general director. And then taught in seminary for about four and a half years and then um, got back into international stuff. So I've been involved in... A bunch of years. Somebody looked at this and said, well, you must be about 85. That's pretty, pretty close. The first cluster of years, the first couple of decades, really, I was involved in evangelism and church planting and loved that ministry. Loved the calling, the privilege of working and serving in the places that I did. And the bottom line of, of my sense of call at that time was promoting the growth of Christ's church among the nations. Um, and I, just a quick, by the way, if you're interested in slides, any of these slides or anything else that I mentioned, uh, here's how you can get in touch with me. It's just msmith at bread.org. And our booth is 1203. But there are a couple of stories of things that came up along the way as I've been serving that stirred in me a sense of uneasiness 
that I might have been missing something, that there were dimensions yet to be explored in the ministry that God was calling me to do. I was in a restaurant in Jacksonville, Florida, and went into the restroom, and somebody had left a tract in there that asked this question that we often see, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? I had just gotten into the restaurant a few minutes before that, though, and on the way in, I had seen some homeless people on the street who I am sure did not know where they were going to spend the night, let alone eternity. And I struggled, though, because my culture, including my church culture, was raising the question, well, which of those is more important? A second story. Several years ago, a district health commissioner in Kenya was approached asking with a request for permission to start a new medical ministry within his district. He thought about it a few minutes and then he said, how will your work be different than the missionaries who came before you? They built clinics and those clinics are now in repair. They converted my people, but my people still live in poverty and disease. And so these stories, these experiences, stirred in me a question. How much do I know? How much do I understand about what delights God's heart? What's my perspective on the the nature, the content of the good news to which God has has sent me. So it really generated some serious internal conflict in me. I was I was reared in a good Bible believing church in the southeastern part of the United States and my upbringing, my Sunday school teaching, the sermons that I heard convinced me that the good news is about the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternity with God. And to this day, I don't question that. But I've wondered, how does that, if we confine it just as stated, how does that square with what was in me a growing sense that what's happening to poor people and hungry people and marginalized and trafficked people on our planet really matters? Is there a dimension of good news that I've missed. And along the way, as I continued to study scripture and read books and be mentored by some wonderful people, I began to wonder whether there was something about the nature of the kingdom that I hadn't yet grasped. The kingdom of God was obviously very, very important in the ministry of Jesus. It shows up 122 times the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven through the gospel, and 90 of those occasions were from Jesus, his own words. And so you see at the beginning of Mark's gospel, as the whole ministry of Jesus is kicked off from from Mark's perspective, this is it. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, that's the big umbrella, and saying, the time is fulfilled Now's the time, folks. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
So something's important there. So the question is, as what we want to do in this in this session is to try to quickly unpack a bit of this, to get a glimpse of what Jesus might have understood when he talked about the kingdom so many times, to get uh, perspectives, to, to talk a little bit about perspectives that many of us are steeped in, perspectives on the kingdom that may provide some challenges, some confusion, some fogging as we try to sort out our healthcare ministries. I'd like for us to be able to outline a vision of the kingdom that can help give focus and power to our healthcare ministries and specifically talk a little bit about what's the relationship between healthcare ministry and evangelism. And then as we wrap up, I'm going to I'm hoping to hear from you some ideas about some resources, some people you're connecting with, some books or articles or videos or conferences that are helping you in this whole arena. Because even in some conversations I have had with missionaries, with agencies who are exhibiting, I sense yet today, within the last 24 hours, some ambiguity, some questions, some striving in this whole area. Well, Jesus did not come into a vacuum. When the scripture says, in the fullness of time, that's a very, very dense concept. Three, uh, N.T. Wright, if some of you have read some of N.T. Wright's work, um, Simply Jesus, great resource on this. But N.T. Wright says, there was a perfect storm into which Jesus was born. Three major components. One was, uh, was uh, initially was a wind from the west. The reality of crushing tyranny from the Roman occupation. Now, of course, Rome had been in Palestine for 100 plus years, but only in the 30 years prior to Jesus' birth had that Roman government shifted from its, its accustomed republic nature into a tyranny where they had a Caesar, which is a czar, and Caesar had declared himself to be God, so that Caesar Augustus was the son of God. So when, when they had given Jesus a coin and said, um, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He said, whose image is on that? Well, on the back of it, it had Caesar Augustus, son of God. And in that context, the Hebrew people were oppressed, deeply oppressed, in great pain. The second part of the, the, the perfect storm was the Hebrew people themselves, from the beginning, as we know from Genesis, the Hebrew people saw themselves as a people of destiny. Their history was going somewhere. Their greatness was emerging. God had promised in the very beginning in the call of them. They knew they had been called into being as a people by the God of the universe. With the promise that they would be a blessing to all nations. And they had in their history by this time, they had already seen that God had delivered them again and again. Delivered them from slavery in Egypt. 
delivered them from the exile in Babylon. And here they were under the thumb of the Roman government. And they were saying, God, you're going to do it again, aren't you? You're going to do it again. We're counting on you. So that kind of expectancy was a part of the backdrop. And then there was just the Yahweh factor. The reality that these people were servants of the God of the universe. And they knew God is not tame. You don't mess with God. You don't even speak God's name. That's why this YHWH reference you know, that, that bounces off of the idea of I am who I am. You don't even say God's name. God is so holy. And so into that, Jesus was came. That, the, the whole idea of that was recognized that, that was built on the idea that only God is our king. So, okay, here's the connection. Kingdom of God, God as king. So for the Hebrew people, from the very beginning, God was promising, I will be your God and you will be my people. King to people kind of relationship. The the Psalms particularly are full of references to God as king. For the Lord is the great God, the king above all gods. Well, as the people Israel were formed, you know, For many years, they were led by judges. God did not appoint a king, but eventually the time came when the people of Israel looked around at their neighbors and said, Hey God, don't you think it's about time we be considered grown up and have a king like the other nations around us do? And God argued with them, but eventually allowed, uh, appointed Saul to be king. And, you know, all the stories of difficulties there. And then eventually, David, a man after God's own heart, was to be king. And so through the years, you have the whole Old Testament is full of stories of kings who were faithful and some who were not. The prophets were in constant duty, challenging and calling the people back to faithfulness. Okay, so historically... Specifically in the years leading up to Jesus' birth, there was a growing movement within Judaism that was believing God is coming back as king. God's going to set us free from the oppression of the Roman government. God is coming back. God is going to be our king. And that cluster of expectancies then informed what Jesus understood when he began to preach and he said the kingdom of God, that is God as king, has come back, has come near. So, kingdom of God, God is king. So the question is, what did it mean to Jesus? Uh, N.T. Wright uses, uses the phrase, God, in char- God is in charge. That's what the kingdom, mean- kingdom of God means. It means God is in charge. So for Jesus, what did that mean? What was it from his being steeped in the Hebrew scriptures that what kind of an attitude, an idea of the kingdom did that mean? Well, the, the destination of it, what kingdom ultimately would mean, would be shalom, going back to the to the Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy references to 
a community that is at peace because all are flourishing. And of course, as you know, the stress point is that a lot of times the poor people, the widows, the orphans, the diseased, we're not flourishing. But in, when God is in charge, all will be flourishing. But the path toward restoring shalom is doing justice. And doing justice simply means that. Restoring the ravages of evil and brokenness. Or of sin and brokenness. It's just correcting, undoing all of those different features. So if you look through the prophets, Isaiah particularly is rich in this. And I'm going to let Scripture speak to us, so I hope you can stay with me on this for just a minute. Isaiah gives an example then that was informing what Jesus understood about what life will be like when God's kingdom has come. So, in that day, and listen, he just folds, he rolls it out sort of poetically. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll. And out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish. The mockers will disappear. And all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. That is, those who have an eye for evil are those who, with a word, make a man out to be guilty or ensnare the defender in court with false testimony and deprive the innocent of justice. And then the lame will leap like a deer. The mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will be a pool. So here's a great story. Do Do some of you read the message much? Some of these prophecies are really, really powerful in the message. Take a look at this. So you've got some of God's faithful, God's faithful, good, temple-going folks who are there for Sunday morning on Sunday school and Sunday evening and come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. They started complaining to God, and they said, Lord, why do we fast and you don't even look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? And God says, so you want to know? I'll tell you. You just listen to me. Well, here's why. The bottom line is on your fast the bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard, you fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast that I, I, God, would like? And then he shares with them what he does have in mind. When I'm in charge, God says, this is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. To get rid of exploitation in the workplace. To free the oppressed. To cancel debts. When I, what I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, and being available to your own families. And so here's one more, again from the message. And I love the, the 
the power and the clarity of it. And this one is sort of under the umbrella of, you better get this right. So, a warning. Listen to this, family of Israel. This message I'm sending in bold print, this tragic warning. Seek me and live. Don't fool around at those shrines of Bethel. Don't go after false gods. You don't want to end up with nothing to show for your life but a pile of ashes, a house burned to the ground. And then he says, in essence, do you know who you're messing with? He says, you are in a cosmos star flung with constellations by God. A world God wakes up in the morning and puts to bed each night. God dips water from the ocean and gives the land a drink. God does all this and he can destroy it as easily as make it. He can turn this vast wonder into a total waste. So he's just saying, don't mess with me. But then he says, here's a scoop. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. Do you know what I want? I want justice. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Whoa. And so... After that drum roll, Jesus steps onto the stage. And, you know, in this, in this Luke passage, Luke could have been a cinematographer. It, it sounds like, it sounds like he's, he, he's writing the, the um, what do they call it? The, um, help me here. The script, not the, the, the script, the, uh, the screenplay. Thank you very much. Five points. Okay. Um, So, listen to this. So, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, back to his home church, to his home synagogue. And on the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And so, here he is, his very first sermon. Jesus is laying out, here is what God has called me to do. And he reads, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he's laying out his vision of the kingdom. And so he is saying to them, Finally, this day, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came back to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And again, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So the good news then in this sense, and I'm sorry this has taken a long time, but this is important backdrop. Because again, Jesus did not say, 
the kingdom of God has come near out of a vacuum. The good news is that in me, Jesus, the kingdom of God is breaking in. E. Stanley Jones was a Wesleyan missionary, uh, Methodist missionary in India back in the early half of last century. He wrote a powerful little daily devotional book called The Way. And in that book, he says, the kingdom of God is our cosmic home. And he referred, the devotional book called The Way specifically referred to the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is the way. And by that, he, he made sure to articulate, it's not the way because God, just because he could say so, was saying so and mandating it arbitrarily. But the way which is the kingdom, is woven into the fabric of the universe. And in Jesus, that, that way, which is our cosmic home, our cosmic future, is breaking into the present from the future. So, Jesus launched his ministry, and John was in prison. John wasn't real sure. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, okay, are you the one who is to come? Or do we need to be looking for somebody else? And did you notice how Jesus answered him? You just go tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers cleanse, deaf hear, dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus is confirming again that this is his identity, that this is his mission. So, in the, in, in the Gospels, Jesus never does, actually in a fairly prescriptive way, de- describe or explain what the kingdom is about. He told lots of parables and said the kingdom is like such and such, but he never told it. The closest he ever got, probably, was when the disciples wanted to learn to pray. And at the center of the prayer that Jesus taught them was, Thy kingdom come. That is the, that is the coolest. <laughs> okay, Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, which means, <laughs> that's all right. No, no, that's all right. It woke me up. So, yeah. so, The closest he came to describing, explaining the kingdom was to teach us to pray, thy kingdom come, which means thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, by now, this may not be your experience, but in my experience, as I began to wrestle with some of this, there was a chunk of me that said, whoa, 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 isn't isn't this really the, the social gospel? I mean, to, to think that somehow Jesus' coming has to do with everybody having a home, a place to, to stay, that kids, all kids, have enough food, that workers are treated right, that nobody is trafficked, nobody is ever made a slave, that there's no racism, that everybody, even if they live in a poor community, 
everybody should be able to get a good education and that there would be no lower class. Isn't, isn't that social gospel? Isn't this one really what, what's important to God? Isn't that the real thing that, that it's about my personal encounter with God? My personally believing and trusting my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and engaging in Bible study and prayer and worship and purity and focusing on heaven. During this During the last two days, I've had conversations with a couple of people that indirectly reflected that sort of uncertainty in which the person was almost apologetic about healthcare ministry and said, and we also do evangelism so that people can hear the gospel. So, does, does that question emerge for any of you? Is it a point of tension for any of you? Yes? No? I'm all alone? Okay, so good. A couple of folks. Um, so, so, Jesus, you remember when somebody said, okay, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he said, Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as as yourself. He paired them. He did not separate them. He would not separate them because I believe that in his understanding of what life is like when God is king would not allow that kind of a separation. Okay, so there's another pivotal story. Bob Russell was senior pastor of this congregation for 30-some years. Are there some Southeasters here besides the staff who are helping us? Okay, when I I first went out as a missionary to Ethiopia 100 years ago, Southeast was in their first building down on Hikes Lane here in Louisville, just a few miles from here. And there were about 400 people who, who worshiped. About 400 people. And then we went to Ethiopia, came back three and a half years later, came back in, same building. People were standing in line at this church for 45 minutes to get in a service. We're riding a shuttle bus from a parking lot at the mall down the street. And it was nuts. Okay, Bob Russell was a pastor for 30 years. Several years ago, before he retired, I was sitting with him in his office and I said, Bob, I was just agonizing over the ways that we split the gospel up. And he shared with me a vision that has been powerful. He said, I envision a time 30 years from now when government leaders and sociologists from all over the United States are going to be coming to Louisville to try to figure out why it is in this town we have such lower rates of unemployment, drug addiction, teen pregnancy, school dropouts, domestic violence, divorce, suicide, poverty, violent crime, homelessness, drug addiction, sexually transmitted diseases, and their research will take them to the doors of our steps, to the doors of our churches, and to the 
homes where brothers and sisters in Christ are gathered together in study and worship and prayer and living into that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Louisville as it is in heaven. And I found that just a powerful, compelling vision, a powerful glimpse of the reality of God's kingdom. So, question then. All right, for Jesus, the question was, what, how did Jesus view the answer to the question, what does it look like when God is king? And the question for us then is, in terms of the kingdom, what does it look like in 2013, coming up to 2014, when God is king? A couple of things. It looks like God's people called together worship and study and prayer and community to be an example for the whole world of what life is like when God is king. Called together, but God's people also sent out announcing that God's way has come or God's kingdom has come and being agents of God's way. That is, correcting and healing all the brokenness that is the fruit of sin. Bringing into reality, not just within our church, though first in our church, but outside and beyond the reality that that life, not just ought to be, but it is ultimately about equality and fairness and not domination, trust and not fear, Letting the outcasts go first and not last. Generosity instead of greed. Humility and respect and not arrogance. Hospitality instead of hatred. Peacemaking instead of war. Hope and not despair. Sinners welcomed and loved and not judged and rejected, especially since that includes all of us. Uniting and not dividing. Truth, not deception. Health and not disease and brokenness. And abundance and not scarcity. Okay, so finally... Finally, we get to the question of what, how does this connect with the whole notion of health care? How does our understanding of what it's like when God is king impact our approach to our practice of health care as followers of Jesus? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. Bottom line, healing happens when God is in charge. That's it. Healing happens. It is an inseparable part of the package. So when Jesus instructed his 12 and was sending them out for the first time on their mission, you remember Matthew 10? Here were his simple instructions. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. All of those commanded by Jesus and modeled by Jesus are the ministry of good news. It's not just the preaching that is good news. All of it is good newsing. So healing is essential and an integral part there. 
Healing is not about just restoring bodies. You know that. HIV and AIDS. HIV is, uh, uh, illustrates, I think, very powerfully the integral nature of human brokenness. Because when you see someone with AIDS, there are physical manifestations. They're ravaged by the disease, extremely vulnerable, compromised immune systems. There are spiritual dimensions from engaging in promiscuity through which they may have contracted AIDS or marital unfaithfulness or the spiritual dimensions of those who are oppressing women and girls, the powerlessness of women and girls, the despair that is a part of that spiritual degradation. There is a relational component of alienation from family, friends, and neighbors, an emotional two-sided sword of both the shame that they feel and the stigma they experience from others. Economic. People with severe cases of AIDS cannot work. Um, And of course, thank God, literally, there, there has been so much improvement with the antiretrovirals and so on. But nutritional dimensions can't eat, can't afford to feed their families, the educational, their children can't go to school. Some of you are working in orphanages where you're dealing with AIDS orphans and you know some of the ravages and some of the impacts. The environmental dimensions because governments have no resources in many cases to invest in preservation. The cyclical and generational nature children who are orphaned and who are scarred for generations. And if human brokenness is that comprehensive, then only a holistic and integrated transforming gospel will do. This is not news right here, what I want to share. But, you know, we know this, but I just don't think we really believe it much. That the Greek word that is translated salvation is also translated throughout the Gospels variously to bring someone safely, to be cured, to get well, to keep from danger or destruction, to be made well, to be preserved, to be recovered, to be restored to health. All of those are a part of God's saving work. I lived in Indonesia for a bunch of years. In the uh, Bahasa Indonesia New Testament, Jesus is the Juru Salamat, the, the specialist in Salamat, or saving. He is Savior. Also, if you're driving down the road in Indonesia, you may pull up behind a truck, and it has written across the back of it, Utamakan Salamat, or emphasize safety. Savior, safety, It's all a part of the same package. I love the way that Dr. Raju Abraham in India outlined his understanding of health care ministry, Christian health care ministries in a kingdom context. Because just look all the way around the circle, um, starting with the top, the spiritual transformation, the essential clinical services, community health, development, primary education, leadership, all revolving around the core gospel, core values of the gospel, the poor, health, and kingdom ethics. And they, the, the label that he attaches with this design is 
working together as a seamless whole, a holistic, comprehensive ministry of good news. Okay, so let's kind of pull this together in sort of an either-or, if-then scenario. So, if the good news is primarily preparing us to enjoy eternally with God, then health missions is a means to a, to a spiritual evangelization. If evangelism is proclamation toward a spiritual conversion only, then health ministries are a good thing to do, maybe even necessary, but secondary. On the other hand, if the good news of the kingdom begins with God's will being done on earth as in heaven, as well as preparing us for an eternity with God, then ministries of healing and promoting health are a core expression of good news. If evangelism is the integrated task of proclaiming, healing, setting free, as Jesus practiced and taught, then health ministries are a primary expression of what happens when God is in charge. Uh, let me just ask you, does that make sense to you? Is, is that a troubling juxtaposition? Does it raise questions for you? Are there places where, where you want to either challenge where that is going or, or just share some thoughts on it? <clears throat> yes. I agree. And I think based on that, I probably would change that because certainly in my mind, it is not an either or. It is absolutely a both and. Because the energy that it takes, the self-giving love required to bring about, to, to partner with God in seeing God's will done on earth as in heaven is none other than the cross. The complete surrender of our lives. To think that this could be taken on as a social transformation project in a secular sense is nuts. So, good, thank you. Other, other comments, thoughts? Exactly. And 
the beautiful examples of holistic integrated approaches are so deeply rooted in prayer and proclamation and study and worship that they are inseparable. They are, as Raju Abraham says, they are seamless. So, to pray thy kingdom come is truly a subversive action. It's a subversive statement because it is declaring to the world that we have encroached, we have begun to experience a radical transformation because a lot of us have been schooled to want a spiritual savior, but the one we've got is a political, and I don't mean like taking over governments kind of stuff, political in the sense that Jesus and his vision of the kingdom upsets, upends the power dynamic of power over. Walter Brueggemann, whom some of you have read and know a lot, said Christians have a long history of trying to squeeze Jesus out of public life and reduce him to a private little savior. But to do this is to ignore what the Bible really says. Jesus talks a great deal about the kingdom of God. And what he means by that is a public life reorganized toward neighborliness. Impossible without that inner transformation and the miraculous working of God's spirit in transforms and and surrendered lives. So... Reality is, folks, we don't build the kingdom. Don't let yourself get into thinking, hey, we're going to build God's kingdom. It ain't ours to build. The good news is, as Jesus told us, it's already here. It is already breaking into the present from the future. What we can do, as Jesus said in Mark 1 that we said, we can believe it, entrust ourselves to it. It is the way. We can turn around from following not the way, And we can persist in learning, which means disciples, learning together how we can live into this transforming reality. So the kingdom, which is the way, transforms everything. It transforms the way we do business. It transforms the way we do education, the way we do family, even the way we work with government. I don't know if you've noticed the little logo there. The organization I work with is Bread for the World, whose mission is to mobilize Christians across the United States to influence the decisions of the United States government in terms of their impact on hungry and poor people. And it's a nuts thing to take on, especially in today's political climate. But we believe deeply that a collective Christian voice can be a powerful influence. There are massive resources, massive global leadership that will be invested, will be spent by our government. And we know that corporate and interest lobbies spend over $3 billion a year to try to sway government decisions in their favor. And most of those care little about the impact on hungry and poor people. But because we believe that every hungry child is Jesus, that every lonely hungry, sick senior is Jesus. That every beggar, every homeless person is Jesus. 
that every addict praying for relief is Jesus. That every immigrant is Jesus. Because we believe that, then we will bring the energy of the kingdom to bear. Our voices as citizens as part of our stewardship of what we offer back to God. So even that can make sense in this context. So just a reminder, at the heart of the kingdom is the cross. Somebody said, if you're going to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. I think that was Daniel Berrigan or one of those, one of those guys. I've forgotten. Um, the cross and the kingdom are inseparable. That is the ethos, that is the energy for God's transforming purpose, for bringing God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. I believe it was E. Stanley Jones that, that said, and I wasn't able to find the exact quote, that to follow Jesus we begin with brokenness. And you cannot break brokenness. You cannot defeat defeat. But following Jesus turns every obstacle into a stepping stone. And self-giving love that we see on the cross is the life-giving spirit of the universe because God's kingdom has come. Well, our time is up. I'm sorry I didn't get us to this point. I was hoping we would have some time, but I want to leave this with you as an invitation. As you engage in your health care ministries, spend some time reflecting on these characteristics of what life is like when God is king. And just focus on maybe two or three of them and ask yourself the question, how might my approach to healthcare ministry be impacted by drawing on the spirit of God's kingdom in this particular characteristic or dimension? How might that impact the work that we're doing? Will you join me in praying? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, folks.